You are now listening to the Hot Take Podcast. Here are your hosts, Stephen Taroni and Josh Daddy. Time to make it hot. Welcome in. This is the Hot Take Podcast. Super excited to get started with you tonight, folks. We have a great episode. My name is Stephen Taroni, and with me, as always, is Josh Daly. Josh, how are we doing tonight? Hey, doing good, brother. Always excited to be doing a show with you here, kind of taking a break from the live streams and going back to the uh, to the roots of the hot take here and giving people the audio pod here. We're wrapping up, you know, Scott Fishbowl here, and I think we got about a uh, good... 20, 25% of the leagues out there still drafting, but, uh, you know, middle of July and we're making it happen, baby. That's right. Yeah. Scott Fishbowl, the big fantasy football tournament, uh, the biggest pro-am tournament that, you know, if you've listened to the hot take, you've heard about this before. Um, over 1900 teams this year. Of course, uh, the cause is for charity. Uh, it's completely for fun and a charitable cause. It's a great great opportunity to network with you know some great people in the fantasy industry so we'll get to that um we have a great guest on the show for you tonight scott pianowski of yahoo sports how's it going buddy doing great uh having a blast with the fishbowl and try and enjoy my summer you know um having some fun with fantasy baseball and just went on a great golf trip and uh you know things things are pretty good i i can't say enough I mean, everybody in the fishbowl, I think, probably has the same takeaway that you know, Scott Fish is just a, a really fun guy, a smart guy, somebody uh, with a lot of empathy and a lot of caring for his fellow man. And it's just great that we can do something that gives back and we can also do something that is inclusive, that involves so many different people and gives us a statement of, you know, sometimes when people will say in, in fantasy, they'll say, oh, so-and-so is underrated, so-and-so is overrated, or the market's doing this wrong or that wrong it can be hard to really have tangible proof of what market perception is or what industry analyst perception is. But when you do something like the fishbowl, you have a uh, thumbprint, you know, you have a fingerprint of how everybody feels because it's all here. And then yeah. you throw in Josh ADHD's great ADP yeah. um, spreadsheet or whatever that is. I mean, that thing, you, I feel like you can go to the moon with that thing. And I, I still feel like I, understand how to use maybe 20 percent of it but right. um, between you know scott fish just being the guy he is and, and josh's spreadsheet and everything it's we get to as collectively as um as an industry and this league keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger we get to make a statement about how we feel about fantasy and and because the rules are so unique you have all all different positional roster builds are are viable i i talked about before we started that there's somebody in my league, uh, Nick Wagstaff, I think his name is, who's drafted six, six kickers. This is the only league you'll hear of anybody drafting six kickers. So Unreal. Uh, I, I know this is supposed to just be the hello. So I'll just I'll just punctuate this long answer with a hello. But um, <laughs> really excited having having a heck of a time in my league. You know, uh, again, I just went on a great golf trip. Baseball's you know been a fun season, a weird season. Every season's weird, right? But um, really looking forward to talking about some of this stuff with you guys tonight. Well, and baseball is, of course, how I guess you're more known for. But, you know, we like to open up with our guests. We've been doing it recently. We want to ask just, you know, how did you get into fantasy football? And, of course, was, was baseball the first priority and then football came second? Or how did that work for you? Yeah, I started playing, dating myself a little bit. I started playing fantasy baseball in 1988. 
and won uh, won the first league I was in. I actually was the guy in charge of the stats. So I'm sure at some point somebody will will say that I must have doctored the numbers. But I won my first fantasy baseball league, which was nice. And I didn't even know um, back then rotisserie baseball is what they called it. I didn't even know fantasy football existed. I, I should have logically thought, well, this is fun. You know, fantasy baseball is fun. Do they have this for other sports? But I didn't. I didn't really think of it. And I went to college and got to be friends with a really great guy named Jerry O'Connor. And when I had sent him my term paper and you could send him a self-addressed stamped envelope if you want the term paper back. And he sends me the term paper. I've written my gambling memoirs of all the degenerate stuff I did when I was 17 or 19 or whatever. And he sends me the term paper back, gives me an A. And he had in the, in the um, envelope, he had a entry to his bowl pool that he was running a college football bowl pool. And he was inviting me to that. And he was telling me to come down to this place called the courthouse, which was a racquetball club and health club in my town. And he said, you know, hang out, let's come down the lounge. You can get in a pool if you want, you know, um, and you have a beer or whatever. And so I became, I kind of became in Jerry O'Connor's little crony circle. I'd play poker with those guys and everything. And they started up a fantasy football league. I'm not even convinced I know the year exactly. I think it was 1992, this courthouse, this uh, racquetball club which I never worked out there. I never, never played racquetball. I think I played it once. I was horrible at it. Um, but I was a social member of the club. I'd go there and I'd be in their NCAA March Madness pool and I'd be in their, their and they had a great NFL football pool and um, NFL football is redundant. But, and so one year they started up fantasy football or maybe they would even run it a year before I got in and I had to wait for an opening. But uh, and I thought, wow, this is really fun. And I quickly became obsessed with that. I would, you know, this is back before people would have the Sunday ticket in their house, you'd have to go to a sports bar and I would drive into Boston or take the train into Boston and, and need to see all the games. And I remember every Sunday would end and I would think I cannot wait till next Sunday. I was, um, I, I still love the NFL for, for a variety of reasons. And of course, you know, there's certain things about the NFL I don't like, but in the 1990s, I would try, I would walk, I'd go to lunch and I'd have like the rosters in my league and I'd try to figure out the trades. We used to score by hand and then you know, me and the commissioner would like, keep the scores and, and trade, do a phone call where we'd like chide each other if the other guy made a mistake. So uh, my fantasy football experience, I guess, goes back to the early nineties. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Josh, do you have anything to add to that? Or no, I just, uh, just excited to have Scott on really. I mean, I've been, uh, I've been reading Scott's stuff since, you know, the mid aughts, um, you know, closing times, like one of my favorite fantasy baseball articles, if not my, you know, my ultimate uh, favorite. So, it's uh, it's just exciting to have Scott on the show, man. It's uh, you know, I consider Scott uh, one of the legends in the industry personally. So happy to be chopping it up here. And Josh, you yourself wrote uh, baseball for fantasy pros. Yeah, so that's uh, you know, much respect. I know that uh, it's a it's a grind. You know, it's it's much different with so many games oh, yeah. and just so <laughs> much action all the time. Um, you know, and I was a DFS guy, uh, so I, I largely wrote about DFS and, uh, did some season long stuff, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, you got, you got to pick a lane at some point and, uh, you know, with the wife and kids and the full-time job and everything, um, you know, it's just easier to keep a, keep a football writing career afloat than it was, than it was a baseball writing career, I should say. Yeah. And what I'll add to, to what Scott was saying about, you know, at lunch, you know, just going over the stats, going over your roster. I mean, I think that there's something to be said for, you know, we'll never have this experience again of, just not having the accessibility in our pockets with, with our, right. 
I mean, come on, like, you know, you're going to make that trip to lunch to walk to a certain spot, just clear your head and start writing stuff down. Like you're writing down your, your flex spot coming up. You're writing down who, who are the waivers? I mean, everything was just, and then you're flipping through your magazine uh, to just get a feel of what, you know, who are the waiver, you know, it's just, it's just such a different time. And it's pretty cool, you know, like, and, you know, we're going to get into the Scott Fishbowl here, uh, you know, and for those who don't know, I mean, if you're, obviously, if you're listening to the show, you're probably on Twitter, you're seeing Matthew Barry post his team. I mean, the transparency is there. I mean, it's not like this is for money. It's not like this is for, you know, it's, uh, you know, a, a cutthroat elimination style tournament. But people want to win. I mean, even the best of the best, the most known names in the industry, they want to win. And they're just transparent about their picks. And, you know, like like Scott was saying, I mean, this is the time of year where like, okay, you're taking a stand. And the Scott Fishbowl really lets that kind of flourish. But let's get right into it. Let's turn this up to 11, Josh. SFB 11, let's turn it up. Let's get into the Spinal Tap Division. Of course, all the divisions are music themed this year, which I love. Um, and you got into the Spinal Tap division, buddy. Um, so Nick Chubb, you know, he's the RB9 off the board, and you take him at the 212, I believe. So RB9, Josh, is he supposed to be here at the bottom of the top 10, top 10 running backs? Or can he take his big bottom into the top five this year? Like, what are we saying? What is nick chubb's ceiling because i really want to know i'm a huge nick chubb fan oh well first of all well played on the <laughs> reference uh, just absolutely love that but the i mean yes to answer your question yes he's he's always in that range uh you know there's guys to, first of all to give you to kind of paint this you know <laughs> into perspective here the you know the first running back in my league didn't go until the eighth pick and of course that was cmc uh, but right after that, uh, they went hot and heavy. Uh, so, you know, there's there was quite a run on them, uh, you know, brief run. But basically the reason for my choice there was just that, you know, the Chubb selection and then looking at the cutoff with the running backs behind him, I just thought was very significant as far as, you know, a, a volume and efficiency standpoint. Uh, which is kind of what I'm looking at. You know, there's, I did consider Austin Eckler, um, you know, with some of the, uh, the receiving work that, you know, we've seen from him over the few years, but, um, and also Aaron Jones, you know, there were, there were kind of like a three headed monster in my head of who do I want? And, you know, once uh, I had already decided a couple days before the draft started that I would be taking Mahomes with my first pick, uh, I, I pretty much knew that this scenario was going to be playing out. Um, ironically, with when we talk about my next two picks, I really wanted Calvin Ridley here. Uh, and unfortunately, I got sniped on Ridley. Um, so that that didn't really work out into my favor. So I ended up going with Chubb. Um, but as a plan B, I kind of did some work ahead of time. And I had established, you know, shortly before that pick that that Chubb was the guy um, and then the cutoff after that, I thought ended up being kind of significant once I put, uh, you know, everything else together. So you're talking about, you know, you're seeing Nick Chubb in a kind of tier that was ending. And I felt the same way. I grabbed Nick Chubb at 211 uh, in the Nirvana division. Scott, do you see Nick Chubb this way? Or are there a couple more running backs that you would class, you would put in that tier that you'd be okay 
if Chubb went and you could get a couple other guys? I guess I'm not sure exactly who was still on the board available to you guys, but I'll say this, even, even though the fishbowl, we talked about the unique scoring and a lot of different roster builds are possible um, positional construction. I still am a big fan of um, the idea of getting that one sturdy running back in, in right. just about every format I play in. And I, you know, I'll, several years ago, I, I tried to call I, I didn't work hard to brand this, but I said, to me when zero RB was becoming a, a big thing. And, and this, look, this, if you pick the right player, zero RB can be great. I see why. And, and Sean Siegel is a very smart guy, obviously, but my idea, and I put this forth in an article maybe five or six years ago is I like the idea of anchors away where you get one anchor, you get that one really stud running back, and then you don't necessarily approach that position for a while. And I think it was, I think it might've been Matt Kelly of, um, Roto Underworld is that the site he's on? I, Matt Kelly's a really interesting guy, and he called it he as opposed to zero RB. He called he called the idea of getting that one into people are calling it modified zero RB, which the idea of getting the one stud, which I thought I never thought that name was catchy at all. But uh, he's calling it hero RB, and the idea of taking that one really good guy. And so I, I give Matt Kelly props. He's won the 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 branding slash nickname. Um, you know, contest for what to call this. I, I really believe, and, and again, the fishbowl is a unique league. It's, it's a, it's a knuckleball league in a lot of ways, but in the sense that it's just a different, it's a different thing. I don't mean that there's anything wrong with it. It's, it's great out of the fishbowl, but I still, even in a league like this want to have that one running back. I think you can hang your hat on and Chubb look, I, I feel like he's, he's been efficient as a receiver in you know, last year. He had good yards per target. He caught almost all of his targets. I feel like he could catch 30 or 40 passes if they wanted to go that route. We, we know Hunt's a good receiver, but Chubb is on a team that is projected to have a winning record. They have, I think by anybody's measurement, a top five offensive line. He's still on his first contract. He hasn't been run into the ground. I mean, we know kind of famously the Browns had to be brought to the Chubb altar kicking and screaming that first season. Um, you know, he had like a game against the Raiders. He had like three or four carries. He broke two of them for touchdowns. And even the next week you think, okay, here we go. Yeah. Nick Chubb show. And they, they still were reluctant. I think Hugh Jackson was still the coach then. Who was as it much was Carlos as we, Hyde, right? Right. Yeah. Get to play Carlos Hyde, right. Get to get him. In yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a huge Chubb fan. And as much as we talk about, you know, upside and could this guy be the running back one and all that, there's something we said for just taking a player and being very convinced that he's got an extremely high floor. And I think Nick Chubb has that floor. And, and anybody who has already given us a double digit touchdown season, anybody who could conceivably win a rushing title, I know you, you would like to get more work in the passing game. I can't guarantee that will come, but no. I'm on board. It's, you, know, you guys both have Chubb shares. I have Chubb shares in some of my other leagues that I've drafted some of my best ball leagues. I think I may have drafted him in, the, in a best ball league we're doing for the breakfast table right now, which is a premium podcast I do with Michael Salfino. Uh, I gave you a much longer answer. I, I got to work on being concise here, but I'm in on Nick Chubb. It's, you know, all three dentists are, are recommending try down here. Yeah, no, he, I think that we're going to get the best Nick Chubb that we've seen. And actually two years ago, uh, to your point, Scott, yeah, he did catch 36 passes. Of course that went away uh, with Kareem Hunt. Um, but, you know, he can be that guy. He really can be a three down back. Um, it is kind of interesting for dynasty purposes, you know, that we look at uh, Kareem Hunt as being like, you know, kind of a, a thorn in the side, but to take away some of these touches early on in Nick Chubb's career is actually probably a good thing for his longevity. Uh, but for the Scott Fishbowl, like I just saw him and I think, you know, Josh, you were thinking the same thing. If Nick Chubb is gone off that board, the next, you know, RBs are, are going into a next tier. It, yeah. It drops a tier. 
And, and that was the big difference maker there. Let yeah. Me jump I mean, in, let me jump in to say one more quick thing too. I, sure. I want to make one very simple point about this backfield. Kareem Hunt's a good player. There is zero doubt in my mind that Nick Chubb is clearly the superior running back on this team. I yeah. Hunt's going to play. Hunt's going to have a role. We know very few teams dedicate just about all you know, the, the idea of like the Matt Forte you know, a few years ago when he played like 92% of the snaps, even what McCaffrey did two years ago. I, I think if Chubb Hubbard is as good as I think he might be, maybe they pull back a little bit on that. You know, McCaffrey still runs the show, but they that would be interesting. Get, get him off the field sometimes. But most teams use a multiple backs, two backs, three backs, four backs, whatever it is. And so a lot of people might say, oh, I'm not taking Nick Chubb because you know, Kareem Hunt's there. What if Kareem Hunt becomes the guy? I, I'm not at all. Kareem Hunt's good. Right. But I think this is one of those things where it, there's no doubt in, my, in everybody's mind. You think back to the Atlanta Braves, you know, John Smoltz and Tom Glavin were good, but Greg Maddox was like the generationally great pitcher on that team. Right. Um, or really dating myself. You think of like, you know, on the Mary Tyler Moore show, you know, who, what girl's the Mary, what girl's the Rhoda, you know, um, <laughs> Nick Chubb is, is the Mary, the Tyler, Mary Moore. Tyler Moore reference. Josh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just threw my hat in the air. So you know, <laughs> I love it all around. No need oh, to waste man. it. I love it. I love it. No, well, the, uh, yeah. no, it's, it's, it is significant though. I mean, if you do get a hunt injury, you know, and we never root for injuries, obviously, but you know, if you, if you do get a hunt injury, I mean, you're free rolling a top three running back most likely in that case, because there's going to be, you know, it's not like he's necessarily going to get all of the hunts touches. They are going to work someone else in there, but he is definitely going to see an increase if something like that were to happen. The more I looked at things like that, you know, another thing was his goal line inefficiency from the past. You have to think that there's going to be some positive touchdown regression coming in that sense, in that sense too. So you can't be that awful. I mean, I, I distinctly remember, you know, a specific series where, the Browns got stuffed like six plays in a row because they, you know, when they didn't get fourth and one, they had like some penalty on the defense, uh, like an offsides or neutral yeah. zone infraction or something. And, you know, Chubb literally got smashed in the face like six times from the one yard line. And um, yeah. I just yeah, think I that's, that. that's, I yeah. That, I mean, I just think that that's not going to happen again. And, you know, I started to think I, if, I, I'm telling you guys, I started to feel really good because, you know, I had distanced Chubb from Eckler and Aaron Jones and, I mentioned that the more I did my research, the more I thought that that was a very significant gap. And I, I was really feeling good because I'm like, Oh, look how smart I am. All these other guys aren't touching <laughs> Jones and uh, Eckler are still there. And so I said, right, so I said, I'm just going to smash these guys when they get back to me. Um, which I thought was just ridiculous that Eckler and Jones would be there at the three, four turn. Um, they ended up not, they ended up going like two of the, two of the, <laughs> all three of the picks I was considering Eckler, uh, New Hopkins and Aaron Jones, um, they basically went in those those next three picks just like that. So, um, you know, the, the cutoff from Chubb to those guys was very real because I almost got, uh, you know, with that third round reversal, I didn't have to wait a full turn, uh, full yeah. 20, you know, 23 picks, 24 picks, but it was, uh, you know, back on me. But then I was stuck with, a, you know, a ridiculous decision because, you know, Michael Thomas and CEH were guys that I was considering there at that three, four turn. But I took those guys last year in the fishbowl and the fishbowl is kind of like my fun league where I just like to do things I wouldn't normally do. <clears throat> Enter the three, four turn here. Yes. And, <laughs> and so you really called your shot and you go for Kyle Pitts here um, and you say, all right, well, I got I got my my tight end. Let me just get my quarterback right now. My QB two. Uh, of course, this is a super flex. You start, you can start two uh, quarterbacks. Sometimes, sometimes that's not a good thing, but mostly you, if you get good quarterbacks, you want to start two. 
So you get Matt Ryan. So you have that stack right there. Now, would you say that this stack is heavy duty, Scott, or is this roster construction a hellhole now? Because, and I'm trying to force the spinal tap references. I don't know if you guys are, you know, if this is landing or not. 312, tight end four off the board. General thoughts on, uh, on Kyle Pitts this year um, and him going off the board this early. I'm a little shaken up here because the hellhole reference slipped by me. And I think Spinal, <laughs> T- I think Spinal Tap might be my favorite strict comedy movie of all time. Love that. I, I'm a Love huge fan. <laughs> and, you know, I'm proud to be in the Radiohead division, but you know, when I see, I didn't even realize there would be a spinal tap division. And I, I feel like I missed something out by not going, I feel like the, the hanging out in the tap division and just throwing around references, you know, puppet show and spinal tap, or, you know, David St. Hubbins is a patron saint of quality footwear. I got, or, you know, um, well, they talk about how the early songs they wrote is rubbish, are rubbish and stuff like that. But if you listen to sex farm, you can see the the growth of their songwriting and how they've matured. That movie's just so brilliant. And, and there are rock and roll stars who have said that stuff wasn't funny at all. That stuff all happened to us. And, and then some people would go up to Rob Reiner and be like, Hey, I love spinal tap, but why didn't you pick a more famous band? Cause they toe the line so closely with the mockumentary <laughs> that the band is believable. The songs are hilarious. And uh, I, yeah, so you got hellhole past me and I, I feel like I've let my guard down. I feel like yes. I just get beat for an 80 yard touchdown. I'm not proud of that. I got one. I got one, Josh. The thing with Kyle Pitts is that we've seen with rookies, it used to be, okay, rookie receivers, yeah, yeah. every once in a while, Julio Jones or A.J. Green pops. You know, Amari Cooper was pretty good as a rookie, but it used to be that rookie re- rookie receivers were just sucker play. And we've seen in the last few years that that throw that out the window. You know, A.J. Brown was great right away. McLaurin was good right away. Metcalf and, you know, um, the 2014 class, of course, stood out on its own. But then the last couple of years, rookie receivers have really started to be factors right away, in part because the college game and pro game, they're morphing closer together. And we've seen yeah. also seen some rookie court. You know, Justin Herbert just had a legendary season. I, I thought Burrow was going to have a, a pretty special rookie year. I'm not sure that he did. And obviously he got hurt, but he would have ended up pretty high on the quarterback leaderboard too. And we've seen, you know, what Cam Newton did as a rookie, um, what Kyler Murray did as a rookie, you know, and on down the line. So it, we've had to rewrite some of the rules for rookie positions that we were generally trepidant to draft, but the one position of the skill positions that it's like, okay, don't touch rookies is tight, is tight end. Now with Kyle Pitts, you have to, I think, accept the idea that he's a unicorn, that he's really a jumbo receiver. He's not going to have his hand in the ground a lot. He, they didn't pick him up to block. So ultimately it comes down to the idea that do you accept Pitts as a unicorn? Do you accept him as somebody who's going to be mostly a receiver on a team with a lot of vacated targets, on a team with a lot of opportunity. I still think Matt Ryan is a professional quarterback, probably closer to league average. Maybe his Pro Bowl days or MVP contention days are out the window. And I don't know that we learn necessarily anything about Arthur Smith that will translate. I mean, Johnny Smith was a good tight end for Arthur Smith. He wasn't a world beater, a record breaker or anything like that. But I'm open-minded to the idea that Pitts could be, you know, Sue Generous. He could be, you know, a one-of-one type of player. And he could break the rules of that generally would say, don't expect a lot from rookie tight ends or a bad bet. Yeah, he could be the exception. And, you know, where I took him, you know, he kind of has to be. I mean, he's priced as the exception. So it's, uh, you know, some of, some of it could be, you know, I was a little jealous looking at some of these other drafts that were being posted on Twitter and such where Ridley's going, you know, in this area. And here he goes, you know middle of the second round in mine. And, uh, you know, so I'm missing out. I have this like 
you know, FOMO from the Atlanta offense and, you know, mentioned the vacated targets. Um, so it's, you know, it's a little, a little bit of that, but, uh, you know, at the same time, this decision kind of came down to, you know, having Matt Ryan or Kirk Cousins, uh, honestly, because where I was at, I, you know, I really wanted to, knowing that I was going to miss the top targets of the Kansas City offense, you know, there wasn't really no chance for me to kind of stack up the home. So, you know, my second QB, I really wanted to get, you know, some sort of, you know, connection there. And uh, with Pitts, I felt like that was my best opportunity to do so as well. Uh, again, he does need to be the exception to the rule we just mentioned, but I do think that's a big volume play. Uh, I did kind of hedge with taking uh, Robert Tanyan later at the beginning of the 10th round, but, you know, ultimately I felt like I was going to be able to get pieces of the Atlanta offense and not pieces of the Minnesota offense later. And it actually ended up, you know, kind of playing out that way. Um, you know, we were talking about later in the draft, there's uh, Miles Gaskin. Um, you know, and when he's there at the six, you know, six, one, you know, five, six turn, you know, I had passed on Dylan. Um, but again, I took Matt Ryan earlier. So the fact that I didn't take Kirk cousins kind of helped guide the rest of the decisions. So I'm not going to lie though, you guys, like I was definitely, uh, I went from feeling super smart to feeling super lost and then, um, really had some regret there for a few minutes. Um, but you know, YOLO that's, you know, this is my, the fishbowl is like my YOLO league. So I, I kind of get a little, uh, little, you know, a little more testicular fortitude as they say when we're, when we're here in the, well, you know, the beginning, beginning of July. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, calling your shot, shot on pits definitely does that. I mean, you know, what I said, you know, two weeks before the, the trade, we had Denny on and I said, just get Calvin Ridley. Because as soon as they trade Julio, Calvin Ridley's, you know, value is just going to skyrocket. Yep. You get him now, you know, when you're drafting in best ball and you get that value. Not only that, once Julio is gone, you see the clearer path for Kyle Pitts. So even if he isn't a unicorn, let's say he's not a unicorn, like Scott's saying, he's just, you know, a good tight end. They want to use him. Obviously, the draft capital matters. And these vacated targets are there. They want to run the offense. It's just like a Chiefs, you know, a poor man's Chiefs right now. They want to run that offense to the wide receiver one and the tight end one, who is ultimately the wide receiver two or one B. And that's what they want Kyle Pitts to be. I don't know if that can translate in year one, but can he be a top 10 tight end? Yeah, I think that's going to be pretty manageable. Um, and then, you know, you have Matt Ryan. So even if he's not necessarily the tight end four on the year, maybe he's five or six you're still going to probably have these boom games where they really want to use him and they really find the mismatch that they want. Um, oh, yeah. and, that, and that's what it's about. It's about finding the mismatch. Um, the, the modern day NFL is a lot like what you see in the NBA finals right now. They find the mismatch on the pick and roll. You know, they do that in the NFL too. They find that, that slot guy, or it, maybe it's the outside guy uh, where you could pick on, uh, you know, a certain defender or a spot in the defense so that's just kind of how that works yeah me, like me, you know and ryan's also one of the most you know efficient quarterbacks at least from a completion percentage uh you know which is huge in this scoring format yes, you know yeah so it's uh and you know he's a really accurate guy and i felt like there was really uh, i felt like a more standout tertiary option available later on in russell gage than and not to be confused with justin gage um <laughs> But I felt like he was going to be available later on, whereas Minnesota just offered, 
you know, questionable tertiary options. Um, you know, I didn't trust the Irv Smith and the tight end situation. And uh, so, I mean, the way that that kind of played out, uh, that's just kind of, you know, the way things were setting up, that's, and, you know, that's kind of plays, it helps you make some of the decisions later on. So even though I was, you know, feeling confident and then lost, and then, you know, all of a sudden I had some trepidation, it ended up kind of working out for the better because, um, you know, like Scott kind of alluded to it earlier. I mean, there's, there's validity to all these different builds and in a tight end premium league, it just, it's straight up, like I said before, you know, it just came down to being a volume play for me. Another thing I really like about Pitts, I'm looking at the board of my league where Pitts was tight end six and then Noah Fant was the next tight end selected as tight end seven. They went back to back. Oh, wow. uh, neither one of them went to me. Now, I, I really like Fant. I wish I could remember who made this point. Somebody, it might have been the, I, Jennifer Eakins maybe. I, I'm not positive who it was, but somebody made a great point recently that said when it is really simple, but I think a very astute point that if you're trying to get a tight end who can finish really high up, they, they need to be near the top of their passing food chain. It can't be like, for example, I'm a Tyler Higby guy, but look, he's never going to be better than Robert Woods or, or Cooper cup. Nobody suspects that right. where if you take say TJ Hawkinson, I think you can tell yourself a story that he could lead the lions to targets. He could lead the lions in receiving yeah. touchdowns. 100%. Maybe yeah. Pitts could be the most targeted red zone player for the, for the Falcons and could be you know, the one B to the, the one a with Ridley where everybody else in that offense is maybe grasping over the crumbs. Uh, obviously guys like Kelsey Waller and Kittle, they, they can dominate their offenses. And to a lesser extent, you can say that's true with Mark Andrews. When I look at Pitts and Fant next to each other, and I'm a Fant guy and I, and I, you know, the Iowa tight ends have, have played very well and Fant's into year three. We don't know if the quarterbacks are any good. And I think we're all petrified that maybe they might be bad because those skilled talent there is very good. The receivers are very good, but I see to, say to myself, I can see a situation where maybe Fitz, Pitts you know, is a dominant player and a dominant target force and, and you know, target commander in Atlanta, where it's hard for me to see Fant doing that because there's so much competition for the ball. And I think that, again, I wish I could remember who made this point on Twitter. It, there's just maybe too much congestion there, too much gridlock there. And it's hard to tell yourself a story where it's like, oh, Noah Fant dominated the, the passing game in Denver. As much as I like him, I don't think that's a realistic outcome for him. I think you did this on purpose, Josh. You mentioned the Minnesota players. So Scott, it actually took Kirk Cousins at the 301. And I see the similarity there of the Matt Ryan and Kirk Cousins with the efficient player, you know, in this league, I think it's minus, you have this scoring, Josh, it's like 0.25 per completion, minus 0.5 per incompletion, something like that. Um, but you're getting, you know, penalized obviously for incompletion. So Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, obviously, you know, they're, they have this, you know, they're going to dink they're of the end. same ilk <laughs> yeah it just they seem so similar to me especially at this point in their careers uh but then scott you also get adam Thielen at a great value at wide receiver 20 in the sixth round um now you got justin herbert the back of the first round you were drafting at the 112 were you daydreaming that he was going to come back you know be there at that 112 in, in the radiohead division or were you kind of hoping for someone else there at that spot not sure if I made the right pick or not. I, because the way this league is scored, where the top I don't know, top six or seven players last year scoring record of all positions were quarterbacks, and yet if you go down to quarterback fifteen, quarterback eighteen, quarterback twenty, they are miles away from where Aaron Rodgers was last year and where the top quarterbacks were last year. Yeah. So I thought it was because there's so much negative scoring and negative outcome scoring baked into the format. 
I thought it was important to have two quarterbacks you really felt good about. And I knew picking 12, I mean, you know, all the Mahomes, you know, uh, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson stuff was probably out the window, Josh Allen, although I only missed Wilson by one pick. And even though they did pull back from Wilson in the second half last year, I've always been comfortable picking him. I think last year he was my first round pick. The scoring was a little bit different. So I took Justin Herbert. It's notable who I took him over because I took him over Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. You know, coming off an MVP season, we're not sure if that Green Bay marriage can be saved or not. Uh, and I think it's, you know, does Rodgers want to spite the Packers by not playing? Does the Packers want to spite Rodgers by not trading him? Generally, I think holdouts tend to, to work themselves out, but everybody is different. You know, Le'Veon Bell got a lot of bad advice or gave himself really bad advice and, and sat out a year. And, you know, that that's something that happened. Maybe Rodgers has the nerve to do that. Uh, my first thought was like, well, at his age, where he's at in his career, I don't think he'd want to do that. Does he want to go to a second Super Bowl and, and cement the legacy a little bit more? Not that he isn't already a Hall of Famer, walking Hall of Famer, just won another MVP. But my first thought is that he didn't have a year to waste. But now I can kind of see him being nervy enough to do it, to, to, to play this game of chicken. So that got me off Rodgers. But after I picked Herbert, the big FOMO, did I screw up, second-guessing move is maybe, and I know Brady's a million years old, but they brought everybody back and they have so much talent. They somehow made Antonio Brown work and he's on the team as an ancillary piece. They still have Mike Evans, you know, near the top of his game, Chris Godwin near the top of his game. I thought Gronkowski played great football at the end of last year. And, and even players in the Scotty Miller's a good player. You know, they have other tight ends who can catch the ball. There's a lot of, t- and they, they really fixed the offensive line, which was terrible two years ago. I know some of that was Winston. Um, you know, because the quarterback's decisions will be a big part of how good an offensive line looks and how good they grade. But if I had to do it over again, maybe the scoring I think is made for Brady and you just have to forget that he's 126 years old and just look at the pieces around him and, and know how motivated he is and, and just the line's so good, the receivers are so good. So I, I wonder if I maybe got that wrong, but I felt you very... Know, you, it seems like you went for the upside with Herbert, right? I mean, is that that's the answer there or that's why you went Herbert? Just the younger player. I mean, I, you know, yeah. um, but yet you, know, you worry about a second year, the, the league's seen him. I do think the pieces around him are very good. I don't think they're necessarily as good as Tampa Bay's, although, you know, I don't think it's a huge drop off. Yeah. Um, but mostly my, my big takeaway here was that I wanted to have two quarterbacks I felt would score proactively and consistently and reliably in this format. Because I don't think if this were just a typical super flex league where there wasn't the specialty scoring, people might say, well, okay, you know, whatever. I get, I get the quarterback 23. That's not a big deal. You know, I, I, I know some people who are saying, Oh, I'm getting a great deal on Ben Roethlisberger. He had 33 touchdowns last year, but that's, I, I don't, I wasn't going to be content with quarterbacks outside the top 17 or 18 in this format. I think the, the negative, the need to have quarterbacks who get volume and avoid negative plays was important. So I wanted, I knew that probably two of my first three picks were going to be quarterbacks. Now I would prefer I did a little bit better than Herbert and cousins, but I'm perfectly fine with it. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, and then you also, like I said, got feeling now Alvin Kamara at the two Oh one. Um, so that was your next pick. And this was the RB three off the board. So, you know, like Josh was saying, sometimes these RBs weren't falling in the first round. You had a lot of quarterbacks, you had Travis Kelsey, and sometimes Darren Waller, (laughs) sometimes George Kittle. Um, So you get Alvin Kamara. And so he's the third running back. I guess the first two were CMC and Dalvin Cook. Correct. Okay. So, I mean, you, you, you pick him over uh, Saquon. I mean, were were the injury concerns, did they have you climbing up the walls? Was that the main reason there? (laughs) You know, I think one of the most fascinating 
questions this year to ask any fantasy analyst or any fantasy player for that matter is who's your third running back? Because McCaffrey and Cook are established themselves the consensus one, two. Yeah. And at three, you'll get Henry people, you'll get Elliot people, you'll get Barkley people, you'll get some people are really high on Taylor. We, we had a love letter for Nick Chubb earlier. Um, obviously, Aaron Jones is coming off a monster year, although he probably with the Green Bay uncertainty won't go there. And I'm actually not high on the Saints this year. I, for the Yahoo preview of the Saints, I predicted them to go under their win total. I'm not, I think both of their quarterbacks are going to play. And I worry that if Taysom Hill's on the field a lot, that part of what makes Taysom Hill good doesn't necessarily work parallel to Kamara. So I, it wasn't a slam dunk for me. The thing, the thing with Derrick Henry that I don't know how to price in, I actually have a fair amount of Henry in my portfolio already. And then maybe that was part of it. I just didn't want to be too backloaded with Henry, but at what point he's been running to the ground in high school, he's running to the ground in college, he's yeah. been running to the ground in the NFL. It has not affected him. I still don't know if do backs eventually break down just because eventually the law of averages catches up to you or how much of it is attrition. Do you just take too many hits and your effectiveness starts to wear away? I, I'd like to think a lot of people would say, we'll be a year early, not a year late. I still think Henry has a dominant pro bowl, you know, top three, top four, top five running back season very likely for him, but you have to want you, we know that with running backs, even the great running backs, they're always so much closer to the end of their career than we ever want to recognize. And so that makes me nervous you know, with Elliot. I'm not sure how much better he is than Tony Pollard. Of course the, the Cowboys paid Elliot and they're going to play to that contract. I don't think there's any, like Elliot is going to lose his job or anything, but I think that team has repurposed itself as a passing team. You know, obviously be, taking CD lamb when they really didn't need to last year, because they, they wanted to be an aerial circus and what numbers they were going to put up with that horrible defense before yep. the Prescott injury. I, I would love to have passing game there, but I'm nervous about Elliot. Barkley's had major injuries. If you draft Barkley, you're you're in bed with with Jones. You're in bed with Jason Garrett. That makes me nervous. Yeah. I think Jonathan Taylor's a perfectly fine pick, a safe pick. They have talented backs behind him. Yeah. Um, did he? A lot of his games late last year were, were against poor competition. Those games still count. Uh, there's still two horrible football teams in that division, so he'll get a couple of whacks at those. I don't know exactly how the schedule falls out. Obviously, one of them will be at the end of the year and won't have fantasy relevance and. I don't know if that's a Jacksonville game or, or a um, Houston game, but I think Taylor's a perfectly fine pick. I, this is a long roundabout way. Here's my takeaway. I think the running back three for most people, it, it's a lot different. For you asked 20 analysts, I think you might get seven, eight, nine answers. I don't think we're going to have an industry consensus. I did pick Kamara. It's not with the conviction I would like. I could have on a different day took Henry. I could have on a different day, maybe talked myself into Taylor, maybe talked myself into Elliot Chubb, maybe even talked myself into a zero RB build. Although I, I talked earlier about the idea of the hero RB or the anchors away RB. I did take Kamara ultimately because I, I feel like Sean Payton's not going to forget that Kamara is a dynamic pass catcher and he can still be a dynamic touchdown guy, but I'm not in love with the Saints offense. I think they're going to take a step back. I think there's going to be a jostling of the quarterbacks. I think both of them are going to play. I don't know how Hill and Kamara mesh. So um, you're supposed. I guess you're supposed to really feel confident about your second player you pick, the 13th overall player. I don't feel that way about Kamara at all. Um, I just think that the who's the number three running back is a really difficult, uncertain fork in the road for most of us. Yeah, and you know, at the end of the year, it really not really matter that much, or or it could, you know. Um, so that's obviously the chance you're taking, but. Um, like you said, you could draft Henry on any given day and it wouldn't be a terrible pick. It would be a great pick. 
Um, so you, you really can't go wrong there. You're getting 80 receptions. You can feel confident about that. He's done it every year of his career, at least 80 receptions. Um, I, you know, Kamara, I've said it on this show. I think he's earned the right to be ahead of Barkley, regardless of injury. You take that into consideration and it's an easy answer that Kamara should, or he's ranked ahead of Barkley for me. Um, I have Henry one step, one, one ahead. So um, you know, I think Kamara is the closest thing we're go- we have to Jamal Charles, and, and I just love him for that. So I- I'm just going to keep drafting him that way because that's the kind of playmaker he is. Um, so, um, you know, it, skipping down here to uh, Marquise Hollywood Brown. We love Hollywood Brown on the show. It didn't work out this year like we would hope, but really that was disappointment at the beginning of the season. He really came on at the end. Um, this Ravens offense is just fascinating to me in general. We've talked about it a lot this offseason. Um, so what are your thoughts on Marquise Hollywood Brown? Because really, he could be the biggest post-hype sleeper because everyone was waiting for it last year. It didn't happen as much as people want it. And now people aren't really drafting him. Yeah, I really like Brown as um, he's my fourth receiver. And I'm, I'm just expecting really consistent, reliable production from Metcalf, McLaurin, and Thielen. Or every receiver, you know, the position is a variance position. And, you know, there's going to be some days where Metcalf goes two for 18 because everybody does at some point, but those guys I expect to score reliably for me. And then it's a, a case of my fourth receiver. I think you can kind of let your hair down a little bit and just look for who, who has blow up week potential, who can have 130 yards and two touchdowns in any given week. And I'll just keep playing him and hope that you know, maybe when one of these other guys has an off game that, that Hollywood Brown has one of his two touchdown games. And he was a pretty reliable touchdown guy near the end of the year. Yeah. You would hope that Lamar Jackson could, could take a step forward as a passer. There are reasons why that offense struggled last year. Obviously they, they lost the you know, um, offensive line. They had a retirement of a, of a pro bowl uh, hall of fame offensive lineman. Then they signed a guy to a, a big contract to get hurt. So yeah. I, I don't think they had the line that they expected. Jackson had some, some issues that he was dealing with. I, I'm not, not that I expect this to be the Kansas City offense all of a sudden, you know, or an offense that's going to light the world on fire for the passing game. But Hollywood Brown, I, I think it's a case of you're getting a discount because he was quote unquote disappointing last year. And even his disappointing season had 769 yards and eight touchdowns. That, that's not a bad season. And it was backloaded with a lot of touchdowns near the end of the year. Now, what you're not going to get is a just a, a ton of targets. You know, I, I think it would one game with 10 targets the whole year. This just isn't a team that's designed to pass the ball 40 times a week, but I don't, I don't see if we liked Hollywood Brown last year to draft him proactively as like receiver 25 or receiver 30 or whatever it is. The fact that I could get him at receiver 45 off a year that was kind of an excused absence. It really wasn't that bad. I felt that was a really good value. Yeah, no, Josh, I, I think that Scott's saying um, a lot of truth here. Cause it's like, we, we wanted Marquise last year. We wanted Hollywood last year. You know, I mean, he, he was a guy that I traded to you in dynasty. I think you ended up trading him if I'm not mistaken. After I sure that. did, bud. I sure did. <laughs> so it's like, but if we liked him last year, why don't we like him as much this year? No, it makes sense. I mean, when you look at the, just the whole landscape of the Baltimore offense, I mean, really the only guy they got rid of was Mark Ingram and the only, and all they did was add, you know, pass catching targets. I mean, you know, they went out and, you know, drafted an early pass catcher and they also added Sammy Watkins. Say, say about Watkins what you will, comma, but there is, you know, significant target competition. Uh, so I understand from a target share perspective in an offense that doesn't really chuck it around the yard a whole lot, 
Uh, I understand there being cause for concern there, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's a, he's a major upside play. I actually took him in the fishbowl last year. Uh, again, you know, it fits my, fits my YOLO mentality when I, when it comes to this league, because I try to have as much fun in this league, you know, as I can. And that's, you know, that's what it's all about. So, um, you know, you want to get some of those, those big spike weeks out of him. Um, he's one of those cliche better and best ball guys, obviously, but you know, it's, uh, I, I understand the concern, but I also understand, you know, why he's being priced where he is, uh, in relation to that, but yeah, he could absolutely be a guy that just, you know, with a little more efficiency, um, you know, he, he received quite a fair share of targets last year. So, I mean, that's, that, that's not really, um, you know, something that kind of held him back last year, but I, I think, uh, there's just going to be a massive trend toward from, you know, leading from volume away from volume, I should say towards efficiency. And if he can be, you know, efficient as the offenses as a whole, then he'll be a slam dunk at his current price. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, next let's talk about Damian Harris, uh, Scott. So you drafted him in the ninth round. Talk to me about Damian. Cause I drafted him too in the Scott fishbowl. I have a lot of shares in best ball. Um, I see no reason not to draft him in redraft uh, cause he's going to be a value. Uh, what do you think his ceiling is this year? Um, are you worried about Ramon J Stevenson when it comes to Damian Harris? Um, do you, and do you think that Damian Harris is the next jigsaw to fall into place for the Patriots backfield? I mean, you have to keep in mind, he's probably not going to catch many passes, but I love that he had, I think it was eight straight double digit carry games. And the Patriots last year, I mean, it, you kind of have to, if, if you were like a horse handicapper, it's like they had a bad trip. You have to throw the race out. I mean, the whole defensive felt like opted out for COVID and cam just not that cam Newton has all that great. Uh, amount of football left in him but just when he was kind of getting his feet under him he, he ended up with COVID that, that derailed the offense but Harris consistent volume on a team that I still think um, even though I'm not in love with their skill talent uh, and I'm not really sure who their quarterback is but I still think it's going to be a, a playoff contention team a, a team that's going to be yeah. in positive game script a lot of the time even if that's driven by the defense and Bill Belichick throws around compliments like manhole covers. And he's been very effusive in his praise of, of Harris and, and how prepared he's been and how hard he's worked and how just they, they feel great about him. I, I don't think it takes a lot. I, I know we have to be careful with what we make of offseason coach speak and all that stuff. And it's, it's, it's funny how we can usually take a coach at his word when he says something negative, but when they say things positively, we have to be careful. But because Belichick's so reluctant to be overly praising of anybody. I really think that Harris is going to take this job and run with it. I think they've accepted the Sony Michelle is just about a sunk cost. I'm not even sure if he's going to make the team. And as somebody yeah. who grew up in the New England area, to talk about Nick Chubb and to realize that the Patriots who have the ear of the Georgia coaching staff took Sony Michelle over Nick Chubb, that, that just really makes me sad. Um, but that be, and don't even mention to kill Harry to me because I'll derail this podcast for like 90 minutes. <laughs> um, no, I mean, you speak to some good points, though, Scott. I mean, they like the Alabama boys, too. And, you know, I mean, Belichick, yeah, obviously he's, he's he's famously very close to, to Nick Saban and they, they have each other's ear. And, you know, I wonder if the Georgia coaching staff pushed them to Michelle and if they thought Michelle was the better back when they were both getting out of Georgia. And you know, obviously Chubb's proven to be the much better pro. But although you have to accept Harris as a two down player. Uh, not that they, I don't think I think he could catch the ball if they wanted to, but they're going to have other guys who can do that. But yeah, I, I feel confident a little bit more in Alabama than he did. Right, in, sure, sure. So I don't think that's necessarily a dead issue. I mean, maybe you know Mac Jones would throw the ball more to his backs, and maybe that's a Cam Newton problem. 
you know, it's one that's a double-edged sword with the running, with the running quarterback. A lot of times when plays break down, rather than dumping the ball off to a back, they run it themselves. You know, right. that can be an issue, but I, I don't think Harris is, is necessarily like a hero pick in the sense of you know, he's going to win your league for you or something. But uh, my team build was Kamara and then, you know, back off running back. And I, I started taking a bunch of receivers. I took a bunch of tight ends. I was just looking for Harris to fit the suit of somebody good enough to play every week, somebody consistent to get me double digit carries. And hopefully, you know, a lot of those games, you know, he'll be with decent amount of yardage. He'll, he has the touchdown equity of maybe a six to eight touchdown guy. If things popped well, maybe seven to nine touchdowns, maybe 10 touchdowns in the best case scenario. I think he's going to be a low upside, high floor running back two, uh, maybe even running back three. I, I, because I didn't prioritize the position, I have to accept a lesser running back two than a lot of teams might have. But I feel like he's actually got a pretty good floor because the Patriots seem to be settling in on him as they're featured, as their priority first down, second down running back. It really did seem that way last year. And he really looked good um, and did a lot with his opportunities. Yeah, Cam's going to vulture the TDs occasionally. Um, but, you know, if that switches over to Mac Jones, maybe the more there's more TD upside there. Uh, but, yeah, no, I think he's the best Patriots runner by by a good margin there. Um, unless Ramondre can just, you know, somehow be good in his first year. I don't think he's really going to get the opportunity, to be honest. Um, but your third running back and was Naheem Hines. And this was a guy I was looking at the draft in, in this uh, format um, just because, you know, the Colts backfield, like you mentioned, I mean, both all three of the guys pretty talented here. I like Naheem Hines a lot. I think you know what you're getting in him with, with the pass catching. Um, and, you know, he, to me around that, like, you know, you got him at the RB 46, but around that range, he really stands out to me. And I don't think that people are viewing him. I mean, he gets slept on pretty much every year and he really outperforms his ADP. So I was happy to get Hines, although I got to admit that the, the wave of running backs who went before him in my league, again, I got him at running back 46. Um, but Tony Pollard went at running back 41. Uh, I'm interested in, although you know, there's certainly a case where maybe he doesn't play a lot. I'm a Gus Edwards believer running back 42. Yep. Uh, Philip Lindsay uh, running back 45. I think he's a lot of people see him as a sleeper. There's an interesting article in the, athletic today i think it was today where they were talking about sleepers they liked and a lot of people were saying they were really high in philip Lindsay. yeah uh, granted that houston offense could could be a, a dead end but you know Lindsay, i still think is the talented player who gets an excused absence for last year and gets a change of scenery I, albeit he's going to houston so maybe that's not the greatest thing but he might be getting out of denver at a good time for his career what i my my lone concern with Hines, well two things one I reject out of hand the idea that Taylor can't catch the ball. What he catch 36 of 39 targets. He, he had glorious reports of his work ethic at Wisconsin. I think they could make him a solid pass catcher if they want him to be. And he was kind of that last year. I wonder how much of Heinz's receiving production was that Philip Rivers loves to throw to his running backs. Yeah. And I, I, I wish I, I had time. I guess I, I could do it, but I, I wish I had time uh, easily to just, call up all the Heinz receptions and break them down to how many of these plays were designed where he was the clear option and how many of these plays were rivers wanted to get rid of the ball and there's Naheem Hines and let's just get, get him the ball and, and see what he can make out of a broken play where the downfield option wasn't open. And so that would speak to how much receiving production Heinz might lose. And also, I don't, I don't really think anybody knows what to expect from Carson Wentz. No. I think everybody wanted him out of Philadelphia. I think everybody felt comfortable with him going to Frank Reich's team, you know, they obviously made beautiful music together at, in Philadelphia and, and Wentz probably would have been the MVP if he doesn't get hurt in that Rams game late in that season. That's how good he was. 
and we all know the fingerprints of Reich were all over that, that Philadelphia team. And they've kind of struggled ever since he left. So if there's anybody who can get Carson Wentz going again, you would think Frank Reich is, is probably that guy, but I don't know if, if Heinz maybe loses 15 catches because Philip Rivers isn't there. And because Wentz may not be as proactive throwing to check downs to running backs as, as much as Rivers was, but that said, look, beggars can't be choosers. I didn't prioritize running back. I'm just trying to tell myself a story where Heinz could be somebody who I can play with somewhat regularity, who's going to have a role that gives him a projectable four every week, even if it's just, you know, okay, you know, six to 11 touches a week. That's kind of what I'm looking at here. I think that's reasonable expectation for Heinz. Yeah, no, I, I really like Heinz. I, I like the idea of, you know, look, you can, you, at this point in the draft, you want someone that can, you know, maybe just catch some passes if you're not getting, you know, the handcuff, you want someone who has a role. So, you know, in a good offense, we, you know, we project it to be a good offense. I mean, the Colts are projected to win the division. Um, so that's, that's, you know, up for debate as well, especially with Julio coming to town. Um, but, you know, last guy that I wanted to mention for that both of you guys actually drafted, uh, and you guys both have a lot of similarities in your draft. Um, but Cole Beasley, you know, even though he's a certified creep, at least on the internet, that is, um, he, uh, you guys, you're you're crushing it, (laughs) but I think I need to look Cole Beasley is in a great offense. He is essentially the tight end in this offense. Uh, you guys both get him. Nobody really wants him. I think that he, you know, kind of made a bad name for himself with the Twitter, uh, rant that happened a few weeks ago that I actually think that affected his ADP. Oh, there's, yeah, Yeah. there's, there's no doubt. I mean, on underdog, I've been keeping track, you know, we had our, we had our best ball, uh, by lows and our best ball darlings you know by the way you know you weren't just giving people a psa on ridley our whole episode uh we talked about gus edwards uh we talked about mike williams no one is good no one no receiver has shot up more than mike williams since our episode so we're we are trying to be the probiotic to help you guys digest these fantasy adps so um you know good you know good on us but uh but no that's <laughs> hey that's, that's absolutely one of the reasons good so. on good on you guys and that's also a reason i i've said this for years why you want to draft early if you can anticipate market behavior and or you get two ways either you see where the market is moving or you see who's mispriced early and you can get out ahead of some of this stuff you have you'll never have a chance to build the juggernaut like you will early in the season before adps crystallize if you can connect dots and i know people say oh yeah but i'm going to draft a team and they're all going to get hurt yeah okay that will happen with some of your teams they'll be injury riddled but the earlier you draft, and I'm, I'm somebody who starts drafting after the NFL draft. Drafting before the NFL draft for fantasy is a little bit too random for me. But once the NFL draft starts, I think if you're a good player, you can connect dots. You can see where the puck is headed. You know, the whole Wayne Gretzky thing, don't skate where the puck has been, skate where it's headed. I think good players can anticipate and connect dots and can see these trends and can see these patterns as, as you guys have, you know, with the good advice you gave on Ridley, Mike Williams, some of the other players you mentioned. That to me is what makes somebody good at fantasy is once something is obvious to everybody, that fact isn't, or that nuance isn't really of any value. Cause it's yeah, the edge the just evap- yeah, the edge exactly. just evaporates. Exactly. And that's, and I mean, basically it was just a strict value play. I mean, my, my rankings, I have Beasley and Jalen Rieger back to back as wide receiver 57 and wide receiver 58 respectively. And they went as 69 um, and 70. So, I mean, you're talking a full, 12 picks of just positional value alone not just you know draft value they're about a two-round bargain easily almost a three-round bargain where i got them so um very happy to take it 
you know, there was about, uh, so far, you know, as being through the 16th pick, um, about four, four, a little over four uh, picks of ADP per value. So I'll take, I'll take some of that. It seems like I've been making some good buys, but, uh, but yeah, we've kind of talked about some of your guys too here, uh, Steve, just kind of by proxy. Um, but I, I really like kind of, you know, spinning this over to your team. I really like what you did with the, uh, the Kyler and D hop stack, uh, right off the bat. Was that, I know you were really high on Kyler kind of going into it, but were you, were you intending on stacking that up or did that just kind of play out like that? Yeah, no, I really was. And I, you know, I was telling, I was telling you off, you know, in our text thread, like, Hey, I really would hope that Mahomes isn't there for me at two. Cause I didn't want to make that decision. Um, you know, Mahomes, you know, having, I would have taken Mahomes. I really would have, but I really wanted Kyler. Because right. like you said, this is a fun league, you know, and Kyler, Kyler, in my opinion, could be the QB one. Um, but I probably would have taken Mahomes. But yeah, I ended up getting D Hop. I also got Ridley. So that, that's just gonna be a fun team for me. I even got AJ Green, old busted AJ Green. Let's see what he can do, you know. Um, I don't think he smelled like team spirit in a very long time. You know, just to close out the <laughs> references uh for the night for the Nirvana division. Scott Bianowski. Thanks again so much for coming on the show. Uh, please tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter and, uh, you know, where they can find your work. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to our weird fishes builds uh, in the Scott <laughs> Fishball. Um, awkward, awkward force reference, but I had to get one in. Um, <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm on Twitter, uh, I don't know, only 17 hours a day. So you, you have to kind of time it right if you want to interact with me. But Scott underscore Pianowski, P-I-A-N-O-W-S-K-I. And uh, I've been of the proud employee of Yahoo Sports since 2008 and uh, covering baseball, covering football, uh, doing a little bit of golf, a little bit of um, handicapping, um, stuff like that. We do, did some Mark Madness pieces. I just did a piece for the British Open with Jay Busby, a great colleague of mine. Uh, Frank Schwab and I have done some handicapping pieces together and, and I'm, I've been a part of his NFL preview. So please read Frank's work. He's a terrific NFL writer. And I'm happy to do some work with him. And, um, and of course, if you're going to run a league, um, I think Yahoo Sports is a really good commissioner service. There's a lot of good services out there, but we're very proud of the app. We're very proud of uh, the experience there. So, so check out Yahoo. And again, if you want to hang out with me and, and, I'm, and look, I'll talk all sports. I'll talk music. I'll talk life. Um, you know, I'll talk dogs, whatever it is, uh, whiskey. So uh, Scott underscore Pianowski, you know, let's, uh, let's hang out. Sounds good. And you can follow uh, Josh over at Josh Daily72 on Twitter and me at FF Professor ST3. Be on the lookout wherever you do listen to podcasts for our next show. Uh, we're going to have Chris Allen on and maybe even someone from Establish the Run. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. My name is Steven Taroni on behalf of Josh Daly and Scott Pianowski. Thanks for listening. This has been 